Well, this morning we will go ahead and move on into chapter 4 of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles there. Now, as you're headed toward Revelation there, if you would just uh, take a minute and actually let's look back at uh, Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 1, first of all, we see it says there that the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and he signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now, we covered that verse, of course, uh, five, six weeks ago, whatever it was. But um, but I wanted to point you back here for a moment and just kind of point out to you that, well, we see in this verse, we see two parts of the Godhead. We see clearly in the New Testament, of course, we see that Jesus is God. For example, we know that in John chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and then it goes on down in verse 14 of John chapter 1 to tell us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But here in Revelation 1, verse 1, we see that God the Father gave this revelation to Jesus Christ. And we see the purpose in which God the Father gave this revelation to Jesus Christ, and, and that is so that he could show it to his servants. And what he will show his servants in this revelation are things which must shortly take place, pass, excuse me, place. And for the past six weeks, we have been studying this revelation that Jesus shares with us, his servants through the writing of his apostle John. So, very clearly, the things written in this book are things that Jesus wanted for his servants to know. Now, are there things that we just don't know? Of course there are. God is awesome. God is mighty. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. We fall so short. Right? We know in part and we know very little. But here in this book, as we're studying, I just wanted to take you back and remind you that we're studying something here that the Lord wanted us to know as his servants. And then if you look down at verse 19 here of chapter 1 of Revelation, Jesus tells the apostle John there to write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So as we move on now in our study of chapter 4 of this book, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, these are the things that we're going to begin to study. Jesus will show John the things which will take place after this. Now, of course, we know from studies past that Jesus has already shown John things, hasn't he? Jesus has shown John things that related to the seven churches that we have studied in past weeks. And these seven churches 
were actual churches that were in place during the time that John received this revelation from Jesus Christ. So, in a sense, those first three chapters, that portion of the the book of Revelation here, where Jesus speaks to the seven churches, in a sense, that represented the things which are, okay? As Jesus spoke to, to, to John at that time, those were the things which are, as verse 19 says there. And now as we begin to look at chapter 4, and you can go ahead and turn there now, again, Jesus is going to begin to show John some things that will take place after this. So we're going to touch on that here again in just a moment or two. But you could say, though, uh, as many others have said, and it's it's very clear that you can look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, and, and see that it really is an outline of the book of Revelation. And as we go ahead and jump on into verse 1 now of chapter 4, we see that it says, after these things. So again, what is the Apostle John saying here? Right? He says, after these things. Well, after what things? Well, after all the things that Jesus has just had John write to the seven churches. You see, Jesus had many things to say to those churches. And of course, we have learned many things from what Jesus had to say to them as well, right? Because Jesus several times repeated, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So today, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a servant of his today. And the things that we study about in the revelation of Jesus Christ here, these are things that that the Lord wants us to know. He wants us to see. He wants us to pay attention to. Okay, so in that sense, it really just the first three chapters that we studied, really chapters two and three and the letters to the to the seven churches, it really wasn't written to just them, was it? It was written to us as well as servants of the Lord today. But John says in verse 1, he continues on, and he says, uh, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So this door here, it now represents the way in which the Apostle John will get a glimpse of heaven. He's going to get an invitation to come and see. And in this vision that the Lord gives to John, The Lord's now going to allow John to see heavenly things. And again, keep in mind, he's going to see these things and he's going to write about these things. Okay? For us, for our benefit. And as we've looked at the seven churches and we've studied about the things that here on the earth, you know, as it relates to the church, the body of Christ, because if you go back and listen to our past studies or you were here with us, you'll know that. There was a lot of life application stuff for you and me in what Jesus had to say to those to those seven churches, wasn't there? And at this point in time, though, we're no longer going to be talking about the church till we get closer to the end of this book. You see, the interesting thing is that the words church or churches are not mentioned again in the book of Revelation, until chapter 22. 
But the word church or churches has already been mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters of Revelation alone. The Lord has spoken in the first chapter heavily to the churches and to how they were to live, right? We saw those things, right? We saw warnings and all of that kind of stuff. We saw how the body of Christ is to live. And Jesus was calling out to the churches and saying, hey, get ready, right? Because things are going to shortly take place, okay? Today, we're still living in that church age. We're still living in that period of time where whosoever will can come to the Lord. But this church age is going to end someday, okay? And now, of course, we know that Jesus wanted John to send not just that portion of, you know, what he wrote to the seven churches there in chapters two and three, but he wanted them to send this whole book, right? Because, you know, it all is information that we all need, but only that first portion of Revelation pertained directly to the churches. And now you'll see as we go on, the, the scene is going to shift here in the book of Revelation when we get to chapter 4 here. And, you know, just kind of going back and touching on church a little bit here. You know that term church, which in the, in the original Greek uh, is the word ekklesia. And it literally means a called out group. That's what the church is, a called out group. And it's very important that we understand that, okay? Because where has the church, the body of Christ, where has the church been called out of? If that's what the word ecclesia, if that's what the word church means, a called out group, where have we been called out of? Well, we've been called out of the world, right? Remember, Jesus wants his followers, his church, his body, to live in such a manner today that displays that, yes, of course, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. So we have been called out of the world as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, hang in with me here because we're going to get back to uh, verse 1 here of chapter 4 in just a little bit, but I'm pointing out to you here, first of all, who the church is. And then I want you to see that as, again, as Revelation, as the scene now switches, the focus now shifts um, onto heaven. The topic is no longer about the church being on the earth anymore. And this is of great importance that we understand this. But before I move off of the topic of the church, in the New Testament, right, the word church, that word ecclesia, as I mentioned, it's used in two different ways. First of all, it speaks of the body of Christ as a whole, right? And Jesus today, by his spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, he continues to grow the church today. It is his body. Members are being added daily to the worldwide church, the body 
of Christ. Now, many people claim that their church is the church. They say they are the church and you must be a member of their church. But there's really only one church and Jesus Christ is the head. And there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. Okay? But let me show you some examples in Scripture of the body of Christ as a whole. Okay? I want you to turn in your Bible to the first book of the New Testament, which of course is the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to go ahead and, and look down at verse 18. So Matthew 16, 18. It says, And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, I'm not going to teach on that verse right now. I'm not going to expound on it, but I just want to point out to you that word church there in verse 18. You see that? It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Again, that word church there is the Greek word ekklesia. And notice that Jesus says that he will build this church. He also makes it very clear there that the church belongs to him. It is his church. Okay? Now, turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Of course, it's to the right of the Gospel of Matthew. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 22 and 23. Ephesians 1, 22. And it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So there again, we see the word ecclesia or church. Excuse me, there in verse 22, right? And notice again that the church belongs to Jesus. It is his body. Okay, we see that in verse 23, right? So that's just a couple of examples there of the church being the body of Christ, with Jesus as the head of the church. And then Another way that the word ecclesia or church is represented in the New Testament is when it speaks of a local congregation of believers who gather together. Any amount of people that gather together anywhere, as we are doing here this morning, right? Let's look at a couple examples of that. Now, turn to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 14. Now, here in Acts chapter 14, 
we have Paul and Barnabas, and they are traveling about preaching the gospel. And if you'd look down in verse 25, so Acts 14, 25, it says, Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Okay, So when it says there in verse 27 that they had gathered the church together, this speaks of a local group of believers in the city of Antioch. But that word church there in verse 27 is the same Greek word, ekklesia. But it is referring to just the believers that were in this city of Antioch. So this is just a local church, a local ekklesia. It's not the body of Christ as a whole. These were, as it says there, disciples that had gathered together. And today, as we gather to study the Word of God, of course, we do not make up the whole body of Christ. We cannot claim that we are the church. And unless everybody comes where we are, then no one's part of the church. That's not the truth, right? See, we just represent a small portion of the church, the body of Christ. And we gather here in this fashion as we do, right? Now, I'll just show you one other example of the church or the word ecclesia being mentioned as just a small portion of the body of Christ. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And let's start reading in verse 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Okay, so there in verse 2, you see the word churches. Again, it's the Greek word ekklesia. And Paul is writing to only those believers in the city of Galatia. And now, of course, this letter of Paul's not only had meaning for that local congregation, but this letter now also applies to the entire body of Christ, like you and me, when we gather together and we study the Word of God. We are taking these letters, uh, the Word of God here, that, that, that he, through his Spirit, had Paul or Peter or James or John or Matthew, had them write all this down, and we study it, and it applies to the church. Then we gather together as smaller groups of people that represent the church as well, the ecclesia. We're just a part of the body of Christ, and we study it, right? So I wanted you to have a clear understanding, first of all, of what the church is. It is indeed the body of believers 
worldwide, but it is also a body of believers that gather in small venues as well, again, such as we are doing here this morning. But again, as we turn back now to Revelation chapter 4, Jesus had addressed the churches on the earth. The local churches of Asia Minor, the Minor, the, the Ecclesia. And Jesus now, through his word, through the living word that we study here in Revelation, we as the body of Christ, the church, are being addressed by the Lord as well. Okay? But the focus now is shifting off of the church, okay, beginning in chapter 4. And it switches from earth and from the church, and it switches to heaven, okay? It's not about the church anymore at this point in Revelation, okay? These are future, this represents the future for all of us, okay? But now, here as we're studying in Revelation, it's not directed to the church anymore, The church, the body of Christ, those that have been born again, those that will overcome this world, as we've studied in weeks past, our future is in heaven. But as we enter into looking at heaven, starting here in chapter 4, we're also going to get to chapter 6, and we're going to begin to look at the things that will take place on the earth during the Great Tribulation, which is that seven-year period of time. We're not going to do that in this study, but I'm saying we're, we're moving forward in the book, and we're going to start to see about the Great Tribulation when we get to uh, chapter 6. But again, the church is not mentioned in the book of Revelation during that seven-year period of time. There's no mention of the church on the earth. Okay? And and how am I pointing this out to you? I'm pointing it out to you by telling you that nowhere from this point on until we get to chapter 22 are we going to see the word church or the word churches. See, at this point in the future, the true believers, again, the ones that have overcome, the ones that have stayed the course, the ones that have kept the commandments of the Lord, kept His word, Right? They will they will be gone off of the earth during that seven year period of time, that tribulation. Do you remember back when we studied in uh, chapter three and verse ten? We saw where Jesus told the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, or the church of love for the brethren, right? He said to them that because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Do you see that? The church of love for the brethren, the church of brotherly love, brotherly love, the, the church of Philadelphia, they were promised by the Lord. That church was promised by the Lord. That because they have kept his command to persevere, he was going to keep them from the trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So today, the true body of Christ, 
the ecclesia, those that have repented of their sin, repented of this world, and, and continue in the word, and continue in the faith all the way till the end. We have to persevere till the end. That church that represents the love of God on this earth, that church will not go through that hour of trial, that time of tribulation. Okay? But that time is indeed coming, isn't it? There is that seven-year period of time that lies ahead for the people of the world, those that will be here during that time. And it will be a time of great trial and great tribulation, like nothing ever seen or heard, right? And again, as we head on now into this part of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the church isn't mentioned anymore. And the Apostle John in this vision from the Lord will now have his focus in this vision taken off of the earth and put on to heaven. And verse 1 here in Revelation chapter 4 continues and says, And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So the Lord calls out to John here through this open door, and he says, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So John is going to go into heaven now in this vision. And he's going to see heaven, and he's going to describe things as best as he can. And then the Lord is going to show him things that will take place on the earth in the future as well. Okay, You see, again, when we left off in chapter 3 of Revelation last week, we saw that Jesus said in verse 20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. So there we saw in Revelation 3.20 that Jesus was knocking on the door of a closed heart, wasn't he? Because it was a lukewarm church, the church of the Laodiceans. People with a lukewarm heart. And Jesus said he wouldn't receive those people, didn't he? He said he would vomit, vomit those people out of his mouth. And of course, that just simply means it's, it's just a, a picture of the Lord not accepting that person that is not completely sold out to him as a follower of his. Jesus commands that we deny everything else and follow after him. You see, Jesus is not recruiting half-hearted lukewarm believers today. We must deny ourselves when we come to the Lord. We must take up the cross. We must repent of this world and follow after him. But today, there is a very lukewarm church in the world. Many people who profess to be believers, but they don't live the life. They're not keeping the commands of the Lord. Many people don't even know the Word of God, don't even know what's in the Bible. Many churches today don't even open the Word of God. Or they might take a single verse and then, you know, talk about 
talk around it in some way, shape, or form. But it's very important that we study the Word of God. It's very important that you have a personal knowledge of the Word of God, that you have a personal devotion to the Word of God, that you read it and study it, because Jesus has warned here, especially in Revelation, the churches, we've got to keep His Word. We got to persevere, persevere till the end. We got to stay the course. We've got to walk the walk and talk the talk and fight the fight of faith. And it's not easy. If anyone tells you it's easy, I've said this before, and many others have said this before. But if anyone tells you it's easy to be a follower of the Lord, they lie to you. You see, I know there is this gospel, so to speak. They call it a gospel of prosperity, I guess, that goes forth. You know, and that was the deal with the church of the Laodiceans. Didn't we see that? They said, I am rich. I, I have need of nothing. Right? But Jesus said, you don't realize you are poor. You are miserable. You are wretched. You see, and the Lord requires that we come to that place of humility in our lives where we lay down everything else and our life is just completely sold out to him. He doesn't want us lukewarm. He wants us on fire. You know, I have seen over the years many people that have come to Christ and have cried out to me in their time of hardship or in their time of trial and, and say, oh, you know, I... I want I want to serve the Lord with my whole life and I want to help in the ministry and I want to do this and I want to do that and I'm going to do this and before you know it, they're gone. Before you know it, they, they don't have time to come and gather around the Word of God anymore. That's the lukewarm church. And that's the church that Jesus says He will vomit out of His mouth. Again, we must sur- surrender all. To the Lord. We must lay down our lives and follow after the Lord. Take up the cross. It means die to ourselves. You see, Jesus knocks on the, the door of the hearts of men and women today, and he calls us to repent. And when we do repent, he comes in and he dines with us. We have that personal relationship with the Lord, right? And of course, we know how all of this happens. It all happens through the word of God, right? We study the Word of God. How else can we come to know the Lord if not for the Word of God? Okay? So again, we saw that closed door at the end of chapter 3. And here at the beginning of chapter 4, we see a different door. And it's an open door. And it's an open door to heaven. Right? So now also we see in verse 1 there that the voice that John says he heard was like a trumpet. I'm just going to expound on that for a few minutes here. In the, the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and you can go ahead and turn there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to be slightly repetitive as I often am, I know, but I do believe that repetition, you know, is the mother of learning. I, I do agree with that. We need to be repetitively taught, you know, and constantly learning, constantly growing in the Lord, constantly reminding, uh, reminded of what the Lord has to say to us. But again, we've seen thus far in our study of Revelation that Jesus has addressed the church um, 
We studied in chapters 2 and 3 of this revelation that Jesus had something to say to the body of Christ. He has given the church some commendations. He has given the church some rebuke. And he has given the church warnings to repent and persevere in the faith. Keep that in mind. Jesus was speaking to churches, believers, okay, and saying if you don't persevere till the end, you get vomited out of his mouth. Okay, these are believers, okay? A lot of times it's easy just to say, oh, well, that's for that evil heathen over there that lives in that manner. No, we as the church are being called to stay the course and get our focus right here, okay? But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul states, starting in verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there we see that word trumpet being used to describe something here where something's happening on here. The Lord's calling his people out of the world, okay? Right. Remember, we just saw in Revelation chapter four that John said that the voice that he had heard was like a trumpet speaking right to him. Right. It was a magnified voice. It had a distinct sound. But here in verse uh, 16 of first Thessalonians, this is describing the rapture of the church. Let's read it again. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then verse 17 says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So do you see those words caught up there? In verse 17, well, in the Greek, the words used for caught up there is the word harpazo, right? And it's a word that means to seize by force, to snatch away, or to eagerly eagerly claim something for yourself. It's like if you throw a Reese cup down in front of me, I'm going to snatch it away. I'll quickly claim it as mine, (laughs) but I'll harpazo that thing right off the table, right? Now, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, this is what the Lord is going to do with the church someday. He is going to snatch his body, right, the church, off of the earth. And by the way, that word harpazo, when translated into Latin, is the Greek word rapio which is then translated into English as the word rapture. Okay, so that's where we get that word from. So anybody confronts you on that and says, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, there's where we get it from, okay? To be raptured means to be lifted up in love. That's what the future holds for the body of Christ. We will be called out. We will be that ecclesia. We will be lifted up in love. And verse 18 here says, comfort one another with these words. Aren't they comforting words? Isn't it comforting to know that we're not going to go through that hour of trial, just like Jesus promised the church of Philadelphia, the church that lives out love, the church of brotherly love? You're not going to go through that time. You're not going to be here. 
So you see, someday the body of believers that are still on the earth at that time, will it be you and me? Who knows? We don't know that time. We don't know that day, that hour, right? But those that are still here, when that voice sounds like a trumpet, those people will be caught up to be with the Lord. And then the bodies of believers that have died prior to that rapture, will also be caught up. Those bodies will be caught up, right? Of the believers that have died before. Then, of course, we know today that if we die today, we are, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, what happens? Well, you're absent from the body and you're present with the Lord. But it's not this flesh and blood that's going to inherit heaven, right? So, the bodies we're now in, we leave behind, okay? But our bodies will be resurrected someday, okay? So it's a wonderful future for those that are believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to expound on this topic a little more. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to look down at verse 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. It says, And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So what does that tell us? Well, let me ask you a question. Who was the original man that God formed from the dust of? of the ground. It was Adam, right? And who is the heavenly man spoken of here in verse 49? It's Jesus Christ, right? So today, right, we live in these bodies here on this earth that are in the image of the earthly man, Adam. And someday that will change. We will have new bodies. We will be quickly changed and we will be like that heavenly man. Jesus, remember, since his resurrection, he has a heavenly body and we will be like him someday. Let's read on verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So, we are not going to heaven in these bodies that we have today. And I say, praise God for that. <laughs> and then verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now that word sleep there is speaking of death. We shall not all die. The word of God is saying that not all of us are going to sleep. We're not all going to die. There, there will be a, a people that will be alive on the earth when the Lord raptures his church away. We shall not all sleep, it says, but we shall all be changed. So we're going to get a new body, a different, a different body. Okay? Remember, think of, think of Jesus. He was buried in a body and rose from the grave, and people could still see and recognize him, but yet his body was different, wasn't it? Because he had the ability to be in one place and then be in another place. He had the ability to walk through walls and such. 
We don't have that ability today. We have these corruptible bodies today that keep waxing worse and worse and worse, right? But verse 52 says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's that word again, right? For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So again, here's another portion of scripture where we are exhorted to persevere as followers of Jesus Christ. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord. The work that you do in the name of the Lord is not in vain, but do not make the mistake of becoming that Laodicean church, lukewarm, where you got a foot in the world and you're seeking the things of the world and you're seeking money and, and things and you know material things and all that kind of stuff. No, we are to store up treasure in heaven. We are to be a people that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is our priority. Okay, so there we've seen just a little glimpse of the rapture of the church. The church has been raptured, lifted off of the earth in love. The Lord has claimed us as his own. He has snatched us away. And as we flip back to Revelation chapter 4, Jesus is now allowing John to see a glimpse of heaven. And John saw this open door, as it says in verse 1. And then, you know, what is it like on the other side of this door? Well, John continues in verse 2, Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Wow. So John is now seeing in this vision the throne of God. And how can he possibly describe to us what he is seeing? Well, remember... It says there, he's in the spirit. He is seeing all of this in the vision because the Lord Jesus is showing it to him. And the Lord wanted him to write down so that we can see it. So John sees the one that sat on the throne and, 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 he, said, and he continues in verse 3 and says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. I believe that King James says sardinae, right? But... I read from the New King James Version here. But stop right here for a minute because John is describing here what God appeared to look like to him. You see that? He says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. You know, there really is no way humanly possible for us to understand what God looks like. 
So John is just telling us what the appearance of God was like to him. I look at these scriptures here very simply. And the jasper and the, the sardius, um, you know, or, or sardinae, like I said, that it can be referred to, these just represent something precious, something strong, and something amazingly beautiful. And John's trying to describe this. You know, in, in Psalm 96, 5, it says, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And then in verse 6 of Psalm 96, it says, Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So as the book of Revelation, of course, we know is very symbolic in its nature. The apostle John here is just portraying to us something beautiful. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary, as Psalm 96.6 says. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of one of my favorite songs of all time. It's called I Stand in Awe, right? I Stand in Awe of You, A-W-E, Awe, right? And in that song, it says of our God, it says, You are more beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are more beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. So again, John is seeing strength. And beauty here as he looks at the one that sits on the throne. And he, and he continues to describe all of this beauty. And he says in verse 3, And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So this isn't the seven-colored rainbow that we are used to seeing here on this earth. This is something far more precious, far more beautiful, coming from the presence of God, Right? I should say that John is not describing something, but someone who sat on the throne, far more precious, far more beautiful than anything we can imagine. And we don't have more of a description of him who sits on the throne here because he is more beautiful beyond description. So let's take this thought home with us today. Our God is an awesome God. He is wonderful, He is powerful, and He is beautiful beyond description. We will someday be in His presence, and we won't be as we are today. We will have been changed in the twinkling of an eye. The Lord is coming again. The Lord is coming quickly. He will take us to our new and eternal dwelling place, which is heaven. And today, we are to live as if we're already there. We are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of heaven. We are just passing through here. Someday, we will be raptured. Raptured in His love. Snatched away to forever be with Him. 
You know, I'm also reminded of the Apostle Paul in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. He describes being caught up in heaven, and he calls it a paradise, and he says that he heard inexpressible words. You see, Paul couldn't even describe heaven, heaven to the Corinthian believers. Paul knew that it was far too much to him to even try to express, and, and he didn't want to be puffed up. He didn't want to be thought too highly of. He didn't want to write a book about his time in heaven and try and make money off of it, as we see many people do today. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll see that the Lord just wanted Paul to rely on his grace, just to trust in him. Today, we walk through this life by the grace of God alone. None of us are in control of anything. None of us know the day or the hour of our death. All we are to do today is to continue to trust in and to continue to worship our Lord God. We are not worthy to know all that God is, but Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, He is worthy right? And before you close your Bibles today, look down at verse 11 of chapter uh, chapter 4. It says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So again, as we saw last week, and when we studied chapter 3, Jesus is the Amen. The one who has the final word. He is the faithful and true witness. The one who sees all and knows all truth. And he is the beginning of the creation of God. All things were made by him. So I exhort you today to continue to grow in your knowledge of him. Become a person of daily worship, of daily prayer. Seeking first the kingdom of God, not fixing your eyes on this world, not becoming lukewarm in your faith. Don't get too tangled up in this life. Be a student of the word of God, because where we are going is far better than where we are today.